And we're back to talk about something that is not Christmas with the Cranks. Thank God. Thank God. So should we watch it every year? No. No. What about a different Tim Allen movie every Christmas? No. What about just like good old Christmas movies, like A Christmas Carol, like the original and shit like that? I don't know. Like, But that's no fun. That's not miserable for you guys. The animated Christmas Carol was actually pretty good. It was not. It was. It wasn't. You're wrong. It was good. All right. See how easy that is, folks? <laughs> that's film <laughs> criticism in a nutshell. You just yeah, got to keep repeating yourself. It was yourself. pretty good. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> No, no depth of opinion. Just is it good or it is not good. Yep, that's uh, Rotten Tomatoes for us, folks. There that's, it uh, it's mostly what you hear on other podcasts. Hopefully not ours. Hopefully, uh, especially this episode. Hopefully, we'll get into a little of the nitty gritty beyond. I liked it or I didn't. That'd be great if that was though for this type of movie. Yeah, it's uh, we're talking about Valhalla Rising by Nicholas Winding Refn, and uh, I liked it. Yeah, nice. I liked it too. Nice. Did you? You liked it? I liked it. Oh, shit. Alex, did you like it? I do like it. Oh. I've seen it before Sweet. many times. Bye, everyone. Fucking A. Uh, yeah, we'll see you later. We'll be back for The Matrix Resurrections. Have a good Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. And Passion of the Christ too. Resurrections. Oh, definitely. Uh, I think that's actually the title for both of those films, actually. Oh, wow. They share a subtitle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Maybe I mean, they're in part of the same universe. Neo did have some, like heavily like jesus christ references in the original he just basically was jesus (laughs) where are you getting that i didn't see that oh really that's a joke oh okay okay bad bad. (laughs) you'll work on your sarcasm we need a little sarcasm no my sarcasm's fine you just didn't uh, interpret it we gotta start incorporating sound bars sometimes i feel like the point of sarcasm (laughs) is not oh god (laughs) <laughs> be our first one let's just stop yeah i can't it even. might have already been oh jesus oh my god i'm so um mad. yeah so valhalla rising <laughs> yes <laughs> it's a movie about vikings no question mark no it's about scottish people right no walking through mm-hmm. the distances it's about a little um, of both I, I would say a little mixture Probably, but yeah, if those, but that mixture would probably equal about two percent of the movies. Yeah. Content. So this movie, yeah. this movie, uh, two thousand nine film by director Nicholas Winding Refn, who's spent the last ten years or so just making weird movies, starring um, Ryan Gosling, like weird, understated Ryan Gosling movies. But I first saw Valhalla Rising probably around when it came out. I think it was over a decade ago, and I wasn't really the movie boy I am today. Um, it, it, it frustrated me when I watched it, but it haunted me as well. Like it, it never left my mind completely. It's not a forgettable film. And I was always thinking about it every once in a while. And I was like, what was the deal with that Valhalla Rising movie? I'd never seen anything like it. And I've ended up rewatching it every couple of years. And at this point, I think I love it. And I'm still not quite sure why. I think it's just the pure 
skill that winding has with atmospherics and visuals, but it's definitely not a movie for everyone. It's barely a movie for anyone, but, but I'm glad that you guys liked it. Alex, you said you'd seen it a number of times as well. Oh yeah. I, I like this movie a lot. Um, I had the same feelings about it. Maybe I wouldn't term them as frustrations, but like kind of questioning of the style and whatnot. Cause at the time that it came out, it wasn't very popular, but what you said about it being one of the first movies that you had seen that was kind of like it, I have to ask after it's come out, have you seen other movies that have kind of tried to tell a story in a more atmospheric, like nonlinear way? Oh, so many that I can't even like summon it. But this time, what what I was thinking about was Macbeth. Actually, the twenty fifteen Macbeth, mm-hmm. in terms of like the the haunting visual style and the mist and the mountains. But I think I cut you off there. Continue. No, but yeah, exactly. So I feel like this movie might have not been. It didn't get the recognition to solidly say, "Oh, this was the movie that set off that style." But it's cool to see the director do it before it was really kind of a popular thing. Um, However, I do feel like sometimes I feel like it suffers from baby being too atmospheric. Um, And I think we have movies now going to directors like Robert Eggers and something like, I was going to just going to say his name as well. Something like the Vich, which has the same atmospheric tone, but the story is very like, deeply fleshed out there's lots of dialogue compared to refin movies however mm-hmm. i do think that refin could be credited as someone who like really started to make the genre popular because drive was a popular movie there were billboards for it all over la and when it came out maybe ryan gosling helped but it was a popular enough movie that people didn't care about its super atmospheric kind of abstract tone this one however I feel like, like you said, maybe turned people off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I have never seen this movie, so this was my first time watching it, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's definitely that style of like encapsulating the majesty of the environment that you're in of Northern Scotland. I, I mean, when you liken it to Macbeth, I almost laughed because I was like, well, you can't just you can't film Northern Scotland any other way. Like you got to show right. the long, sprawling moors covered in mist, and and the and like the marshes and the the rolling green hills. It's just that's Scotland. So it makes sense that they tried to adapt that aesthetic, or at least as Alex was trying to say, maybe even cultivate that aesthetic for this movie because this movie is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous from <clears throat> from the color palette to the kind of level of detail that's put into the actors costumes and like the grime and grit on everything everything feels very tactile very worn this movie feels worn the world has that kind of frayed around the edges aesthetic to it which is really good in a movie where you're trying to show instead of tell which is very much this film was I mean, there's. I think when I was reading it, there's like 120 lines of dialogue. Yeah. So it's like three percent of the movie is talking. The rest is the rest is men walking through environments with a abstract soundtrack playing. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I definitely got a little bit of Green Knight vibes at time. You know, at times like this kind of 
long, big, huge atmosphere. I guess that's the only way to put it. This this world that's so much grander and larger than the characters that live in it. And and how they're all just like these tiny little pieces moving around and they're very lost. And I and I really love that. And then of course, you know, I think the religious discussion that this movie's trying to have is very interesting and captured in a very strange way. And I think that's to the movie's fault a little bit. But uh, Mm. Mads Mikkelsen does play this kind of silent character very well and acts well with his face, which I think led to the movie's benefit. Yeah, so if people haven't seen the film, Mads Mikkelsen plays a silent warrior with one eye. They call him One Eye. Uh, He's basically like a slave fighter, and he escapes his captors, kills all of them except for a, a small boy. And then he meets up with some Christians... And then they decide to travel to um, the Holy Land in a small boat and they get lost in the mist, but they actually end up in America and then everyone dies and it gets really psychedelic. That's my, that's my very, very just raw, no frills description of this film. Yeah. And uh, the story's like, it almost doesn't make sense if you think about it as a, as a, cohesive narrative because it's not about being a narrative it's about visuals and thematics essentially Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely the theme is what's important here i think imaginative space too when it comes to the narrative really parallels and reflects well with the atmospheric uh space that he sets up because it you have obviously the encroachment of the old world into the new world right you can argue any way you want about how it was done with columbus or with the norse vikings and leif erikson whatever but there we know that there was contact that was going in between and this film sets us up in a way where it's kind of like this is an imaginative story that could have happened you know in this time period and it's just cool to think of this weird like historical imaginative space that he lets the narrative play in. So I like that I like that it kind of doesn't make sense, but historically I do think it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't uh it doesn't work for like it's not going to work for a lot of people I don't think because it doesn't tell a story that you can really understand. It's a very strange film. That's why I said I I, I think I was frustrated the first time I watched it because I expected movies to make sense. Mm. And now after seeing, you know, everything from Jodorowsky to David Lynch and all this shit in between, I, I, I sort of think of movies like this in terms of like David Lynch himself says, I don't know why people expect art to make sense because life doesn't make sense. And I really <laughs> like that quote. Yeah. Of course it varies. You can do experimental cinema very, very badly. Of course. It has happened. It continues to happen. But this one is so hypnotic and so gorgeous. If you're able to slow your mind down and accept that you're not going to understand everything, especially the first time, and just get wrapped up in the the atmosphere of it, I think it's like a really tremendous experience. Yeah, I mean, I agree. But to kind of counter that point, I didn't really find this movie to be confusing because I think it's a more of a movie that like I resonate with i guess or i don't know like uh, that that makes sense 
to my brain. Like right away when I saw what, what this movie was going for, I stopped looking for the narrative and I started looking for the symbolism instead. And I didn't care that there was a story or where they were going. I was like, well, let let me ask you, what was this movie about to you then symbolically? Well, this movie is about, uh, the pagan, the, the, the diminishment of the pagan religion or the pagan belief system and the encroachment of Christianity into the Norse kind of world into the Norse culture and how Odin or in our case, one eye in the, in this movie is shepherding, the last of the faithful, which is this boy, that's the representative of the boy, is the last of the pagan faithful to the Norse religion. He is sh- sacrificing himself in an almost a Christ-like way for the very last remnants of the people who believe in him. And because in Norse mythology, it's the people, the mortals' belief in the gods and their reverence is what gives the gods power. This is a very common thing in Greek mythology as well. The gods are powerless without the love and adoration of the people. So this is almost, to me, was a movie about Odin, who is called One-Eye, and known for a great warrior, uh, and also he's the god of prophecy, which we see um, Mads Mikkelsen character has foresight in this movie. He sees things before they happen and then acts on them. So it's about Odin ushering the last of the faithful to the new world and, and, and kind of sacrificing himself in order for that last remnant of the Norse uh, belief system to carry on. I mean, damn! Did you get all that, Alex? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And you watched it, okay? It's it's in- cool. Well, I've seen it many times, so like I've been able to fish out similar themes and pretty much the same storyline. I think that there's a cool parallel that not only is he ushering him, but he's protecting him from the invasion of the like Christianity. Also, I want to say we're not saying that Christianity is evil or poisoning ourselves. It's just what the movie is setting up. But it's like this thing where he ushers him to another land with pagan people. I mean, that's getting to the end, but still. Like, he takes him from one pagan race, and he basically gives him to the other indigenous race of the New World. And it's like, I have brought you someone who is cut from the same cloth as you, from a very far and distant land. And you guys need to protect him for what is coming. It's almost a warning, even to the new world like we're now here on your shores this is what's coming for your land protect your gods well what we have is a lot of great symbolism as as the movie very clearly lays out is the fact that um you know uh one eye kills his captors who are norse pagans and because the Norse pagans have fallen from grace they have they're now just like fighting warriors for sport so he eliminates the corruption and the cancer in, in his own faith. Done. Then he ushers the last pure part of his faith, the boy, through uh, what is now Norse-occupied Scotland, I believe. Um, and we run into Norse Christians, which is very specific. That's that's a very specific thing is the these men that they run into are not Scottish Christians. They're Scottish actors. And they just have Scottish accents, but they're Norse Christians. So they are Norsemen who have succumbed to Christianity. And 
that's why One Eye has kind of like, or at least in my reading, a contention for them. He doesn't kill them or attack them because they're still Norsemen, but he doesn't like them or in any way trust them because they have but he goes along with them to the new world because he has a prophecy and he has any in like odin he follows the foresight because that's what he's supposed to do in order like he knows Mm. that that's his path what's the prophecy well there's not it's just you see him so you know in the first scene we have him he has a a a prophecy of fighting of dumping himself into the in the water and it's all red and then he yeah. does it, and he finds the arrowhead that allows him to free himself. And then we have a prophecy of the the Christian, the leader of the Norse Christian sword, and it has like the cross on it and everything, and and it's on a boat. So he knows I have to travel with these men on the boat. And then he has the prophecy about him being clubbed to death by Native Americans. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> so we have. So he constantly follows, much like Odin would. This, this prophecy, and you have to remember that Odin can't die, and he takes on human form in Norse mythology a lot. And so he was sacrificing himself to make a point to the child, not to anybody else, because if Odin dies, he just goes back to Valhalla. And that's the idea of Valhalla rising. Odin is the lord of Valhalla. He's not the lord of Asgard, which is the, the whole plane that the gods live on he's the lord of valhalla the hall of the warriors so he embodies a warrior somebody who is the epitome of the men who make it to valhalla is mads mickelson's character and they and they there's a great line where they say where does he come from and the young boy who can basically kind of read mads thoughts one eye's thoughts is he says he comes from hell he's spawned from hell so there's the double L, hell, or the single L, hell, which is two very different. That's Norse hell and Christian it's hell. It's the single. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. saying the single letter, the single L, hell, which is a very different connotation in Norse mythology because hell is where disgraced warriors or people who die of being sick or old age or infirm, that's where they go. They go to hell and they get judged by Loki's daughter, Helia or just hell of the same name. And uh, that is kind of, we're seeing the kind of the d- divergent paths of the Norse afterlife. And it's very clear. I love that you're here. <laughs> I had like, I probably picked up a third of this. I'll be honest. I was like, okay, yeah, the whole new world thing, invasion of the new world, something to do with Odin. And that's about, as far as my interpretation went in terms of that, it's more a movie that I just get lost in and I don't try to interpret. Although speaking of his visions, like the, the red visions, yeah. I do like at the very end, all of the, the little visions have been read up to that point until he's getting killed and the, the boy is watching and it's blue. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's almost like a, it's like a oh you've fulfilled your purpose at this point or something like that. I'm not sure. You know, Refn, I have this idea that he does this thing where he like goes to Home Depot and looks at like the paint color palettes, picks like four of them and just throws them on his desk and is like, <laughs> I'm gonna make a movie with these colors. And <laughs> I think he does it exceedingly well because he relies on those colors to tell all these different themes. So I think. I think you're honing in right in at least on a specific scene that supports that theory. Um, the way he plays with color in this movie is I think amazing the way like they're in the fog 
and it's it changes different colors like and then it gets like red at one point it gets really really cool but going back into the plot a little bit more not just so much on the end i feel like even without all of the norse mythology attached to it it could still make for a very compelling and interesting story about people who are pushed and like invigorated and inspired by very very real and very deep fears about the world around them and like paranoia almost and i think mixed with faith exactly well that that's what i'm saying is that like from their faith it turns their entire worldview into this just i mean the norsemen right the christian norsemen were literally just scavenging and scouring the land for pagans and just murdering them right it like turns you into these just this crazy like monster and this crazy being so (laughs) i don't know i feel like even without all the religious aspect of it not the religious aspect excuse me the mythology mythological aspects of it it still makes for a very compelling story but it is very cool with jeff here explaining like the historical mythological context to it yeah well to that point i like that the movie operates on this level of like wow how crazy it was to be one of these people right where you're walking through this hostile land guided by this faith and you probably haven't bathed in weeks they they go through this epic sea journey on this boat where they have no water they're going insane all guided by this this faith and they do the 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 psychedelics Mm-hmm. When they get to the new the new world, they're trying to figure out what to do. They're like, we have to bring God to these heathens, and they're like, what do we do? And they end up taking this. I, I don't know. I guess it's probably like some sort of mushroom beverage that he has in the clay container. Yeah, and then shit goes wild. <laughs> yeah, that was a really great scene because it showed an, a yet another divergence in this kind of uh, interpretation of the two religions, like the Christians who are supposed to be holy and devout and faithful, they all kind of descend into their own version of sin. Like one, one of the Christian Norsemen rapes another one mm-hmm. in the mud. Um, all the while though, uh, one eye builds himself a burial cairn because mm-hmm. he knows his fate so he decides, well, I'm in this new world. I'm going to bury, I want to be buried in the way that a Norseman is buried through a cairn. And he makes a little cairn for himself. And then he kind of like struggles and fights with it to find the right size stones. And it's, and then this Norse boy, this young boy, witnesses this pretty graphic uh, rape in the mud. And he's just it's horrified. Horrific. He's just yeah. horrified by like these men who have descended into madness on the on the wings of faith. And it's it's a very interesting scene. And just to mention real quick, that boat scene was really great because it was I took that boat scene as kind of the climax of the movie for me personally. I know that's would be more like structurally when they get to the new world, but No, the climax took place in the mud. <laughs> 
All right, I'll give you. All right, I'll give you that. That was that was a good one. I'll, 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 that was okay. I'll, I'll, I'm okay being interrupted for that one. Somewhat redeemed. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's just the, the 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 boat scene. While it was the quietest and slowest of the movie, it takes up quite a large chunk of the film. I really feel like that was the most important scene because it was a contention of faiths. These men were so sure that their journey would take them to Jerusalem so that they can purge the holy land of heathens. But in Norse, in the Norse world, Loki and Thor, they kind of help control the tide, Loki with his luck and Thor with the seas and the storms. They control like how you get to places. You need to offer prayers to them. And so Mads being Odin is not allowing them to get to the Holy Land. The the fog, Mm. I think, is totally created by him because it goes away as soon as the Christians start to kind of surrender themselves. Like you have the scene where the um, the main kind of not the main guy, like the, not the leader of the of the Norse Christians, but his second in command, who's like kind of like the more priestly character. Yeah, the other old guy. Yeah, he was like standing on the bow of the ship, like with his arms out, kind of surrendering to the mist, and they all drink seawater together, which uh, makes you go insane. Don't ever do one it. One of the guys does, right? I think just one no, of them does. No, at the, one of them does, and then he's like, "Do it again, and you'll die." But at the end, but right at before this, the fog clears. Um, oh no, that's that's fresh water. Mads Mikkelsen drinks it, and they're they're the guys like, "Haha, you're gonna go insane now!" And he hands it to him in the slow, nice shot. Yeah, but and that he's like, oh, it's he fresh. reached over the edge of the boat and handed that to them. Yeah, so because it was fresh he, water at that point. Oh, I see. I get what you're saying. Okay, so yeah. at that point they were at a river, so they were yeah. able to drink. Okay, cool. I'm getting that because for me, I took I thought it was seawater, and I thought they were kind of surrendering themselves to the environment and then no. the next the next scene is you know the fog's cleared and yeah. they're in a river it's very easy to miss a couple details here and there the first time you watch this movie fuck man i've seen it like seven times i didn't pick up half the stuff you picked up like my whole idea with this movie is like this movie is crazy i want to talk about it because it's crazy and it's an experience I had very little idea of the the depth of knowledge that you would have about it. So it, you're making me want to watch it again. Like this almost sounds like a Jeff pick when we're talking about it today. <laughs> you're talking way more than me, and I'm stoked about it. Well, it's a it's to me it's the opposite of a crazy movie. It's a very calculated movie. Every scene is like a small little fresco about this clash of cultures and religion and this this attempt this desperate attempt to preserve what's left of your power i mean odin is here to go boy you're that all that's left basically of my power our power the god's power please recognize my sacrifice and carry it on and he kind of but then it conflates at the end because christ also sacrificed himself for our for the sins of the of people of humans so it's like almost these two conflating religious points at the end it's like almost like odin is succumbing to the fact that in order to make people believe in you in the way that the christians believe in in christ is you have to sacrifice yourself and he kind of does that for the boy enabling his religion to be carried on well goddamn um what did you guys feel about the violence in this film it was just enough 
Yeah. Just enough. I went brutal when it needed to. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't pretty over, good. Yeah, it was it was blo- it was bloody enough to be like kind of enjoyable. There's not many there's not really any fight scenes in particular except really in the beginning. It's more fist fighting. There's a you know, one or two, but Mads pretty much dispatches everybody that attacks him with lethal grace yeah. in this movie. They're bursts of understated, precise violence. It's almost like exclamation points. Yeah, probably the most violent scene is when he's torturing the Norse chieftain and he disembowels him with the arrowhead. <laughs> that was probably the most brutal scene and uh, pretty hardcore. You know, he just like... And, the, and you know, Mads Mikkelsen is a very physical actor. He can act well with his face and his body. He doesn't need to talk. This is also represented in... Here was our video game reference in Death Stranding where Mads Mikkelsen is, plays another kind of mute character. Uh, as far as his corrupted form, I won't go into it. But uh, yeah, he he acts very well with his face. So he does this great where he like kind of picks up the guy's bowels out of his body and just like drops them in this very like I don't right. matter of fact way. Like we're done, but like just dry. I don't. I really loved his his body language in that scene. He coils like a cat when he sees that violence is coming towards him. And he jumps, he just like jumps out like a snake or something, cuts the guy's tendon, and then d- yeah, dispatches like three of them in the space of four seconds or something like that, yeah. and then just turns around and walks away, walking yeah. away towards death. Odin is the greatest warrior of all time, so it's like, it's a, it's just, you. the fuck you think you're going to do up against Odin? He's just—he's gonna dispatch you in four seconds. That's just how it's gonna work, and so it's—it's it's such a great reinforcement of this character's almost divinity, I guess you could say. Is like there's no even contention between him and other warriors as far as a fight goes. There's no like—it's not like at any point in a normal fight where the, the hero takes some hits, the enemy takes some hits back and forth. No, Mazmagosin does not get hurt. Like the entire movie, he just fucks everyone up until he sacrifices himself. It's the first hit he takes in the movie. It's a movie I haven't really tried to define and I've kind of let go of that. Like I called it frustrating the first time. And I think like there's some power to something that just resonates with you, whether that's just images or feelings or sounds. And it almost draws upon like, a primal feeling. I feel like this movie draws something primal out of me. There's a good word for this movie, primal. And that's that's like the power of filmmaking. And part of what makes Nicholas Winding Refn so special is his ability to conflate and utilize all of these different elements of cinema, like the sound, the visuals, like Mads Mikkelsen walking and not even saying anything, just his fucking face. Violence. He has a very unique style. And I think Alex pointed to something really interesting earlier on where I think Nicholas Winding Refn has had a bigger impact on cinema than people perhaps realize at this point. Because a lot of these like like A24 movies specifically, but like Robert Eggers and even other things we've watched, I'm struggling to say exactly what, but slow, methodical, atmospheric filmmaking... Mm-hmm especially that takes into account like enormous vistas yeah. and bursts of violence, I think owe themselves to Refn 
and in particular maybe this film maybe drive more but yeah this is more my area because i love i love anything that's quote unquote medieval i know this isn't medieval but you know historical it's before technology um where people walk around with swords, essentially. Yeah, that's medieval. This is medieval. That's medieval. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the exact time frame. Yeah. I could see him. Yeah, this takes place in like ten hundred or something like that. I could see him making a film very much like, how do I say, it? like Pig. You know, um, hmm. movies like that. I forgot the director's name right now, off the top of my head for that film. Well, this is his first feature. I don't know. Yeah, his name either. but Pig is also, you know almost an antithesis to this movie with the lack of violence. No, no, no. I was going to say, yeah, definitely. It's not quite as um, violent, but it has some of the same atmospheric and broody like tones to it where again, the Vista shots and things like that really do just tell more of the story. Even films like Mandy, I could see Refn being a fan of Um, the Revenant for sure. Yeah. I just, like you said, Jesse, I feel like maybe he doesn't get some of the credit, but I don't think that it's entirely like he's underrated. I think he lacks some storytelling skill, like telling us a a narrative that is very deep and I don't know. It's hard to even say. It's hard to describe because it sounds like I'm trashing him, but I'm not. I just, maybe that's where his, the criticism is coming from. Because like when I read when I read negative reviews of this film and of his films, I don't have the same like oh you're just wrong reactions as I do to other films. I see a lot of merit in some of the criticisms, especially when it comes to his storytelling. But not all films have to be like that. It just seems that a lot of his films are. Yeah, it's a hard movie to say like you're wrong in your interpretation of it, especially if your interpretation is like. It's just boring. Yeah. Um, Because I could definitely see a lot of people being bored with this movie. It is very slow. Very, very, very slow. Mm -hmm. And if you're not keyed in, and I wasn't even keyed into the things Jeff was. I mean, I was, but maybe like, I don't know, 30%, something like that. Uh, Just enough to like know that these, these themes were present, but without having the depth of knowledge to see all the connections that Jeff made. But even then, like... Like I said before, I just dig this style of cinema. Yeah. I really like slow, beautiful movies that are just experiential more so than storytelling. And I think I'd talked about this a little bit with The Green Knight. It's like, I'm okay with a well-made movie that doesn't make sense to me. You know? Yeah. I, like, I'm cool with it because, like, that's what I like in literature too. Like if something's just well constructed and beautiful on the sentence level or the shot level, basically just on the level of composition, whatever the, the medium is, then I'm, I dig it. Like I like mystery. Yeah. No, I think that the, a good way to approach this movie is less of what is it trying to say or what is it about? And more, is it saying something? Or is it about anything? And if you leave it just at that question, rather, you leave a world of imagination open up for the audience to interpret. And that's yeah, beautiful wanna... about this movie, is that it could yeah. be really anything. I want to edit that. I want to say more, it's what's it saying to you. Exactly. Because what does it make you feel? Exactly. Because this is a movie that more is 
art than narrative, if that makes sense. It's more of interpretive than narrative, I guess that would be a better way to put it. Uh, you can walk up to a painting and go, I like this painting. You can walk up to a painting and go, I don't like this painting. Or you can walk up to a painting and go, I like this painting, and this is how it makes me feel. Yeah. I called Macbeth 2015 a macabre tone poem, and I would say the exact same thing about this movie, mm-hmm. more so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it's just, five times more so. It's just a movie that is all about how it makes you feel, and that's fine. All those points, all those feelings are valid. And I just want to make a point to say that, like, my knowledge of Norse mythology and mythology in general is very cursory. It's very, like, you know, I'm not studied. I didn't go to school for this. So, listeners, please take what I say with a grain of salt, or I may have, like, misspoken about something. But, uh, so, I mean, even that is just under my kind of lens. And that lens is not right or wrong. You know, this is just a version of the story that I saw. And I could be totally off. So... You know, I don't want to ever make it come across that like my interpretation is the right one just because it has historical backing. That's not what this movie is trying to do at all. No, there's a whole other competing narrative, um, even if you disregard the whole Odin thing, which is about just like um, Christianity coming to the new world in this like barbaric way where it's like we're going to show these heathens what a man of God can do. Like, they have violence in their hearts from the beginning. You imagine being a native, watching these guys roll up in their boat and then just, like, proceed to drink some weird concoction and then ass-rape each other in the mud? You're like, what the fuck is going on? We got to nip this in the bud. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they're and the, yet they're the ones that are called savages. Like, that's the kind of, like, the true savages have arrived. Stone tools, man. They have stone tools. Ergo, savages. But yeah, no, I mean, this movie, it makes me feel cold and dirty and miserable and like I'm on drugs. And if a movie can do that to me and make me remember it, like I'd, I'd probably waited like five years between seeing this movie for the first time and then rediscovering it. And I was like, oh, shit, it's this movie. <laughs> this movie made me feel weird things. That's, I got to see this again. That is the essence of the real weirdos, right? <laughs> and it's funny because <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, but during this time period, like 2006 to 2009, this is around the end, I think, there was a big rise. Like right when Netflix streaming was getting popular, you know, and they were like moving away from the home DVD shipping service that they originally started as. Uh, but right when their streaming service was getting popular, I remember this huge wave of Norse Viking type movies. On um, Do you guys remember that? Like there was this huge, I, I wish I could remember some of their titles. Uh, is it was it Norse or was it just like like was, swords and sandals it, type yeah, everything? Yeah, like it was three hundred. Like, I would say no, not three, No, I'm not even saying like the popular ones. But yes, I would more instead of Viking. I'm it's more say medieval. But like, like I want to. I'm going to type something in. So if you hear my keys, I'm sorry. But uh, mid two thousands, like Game of uh, Thrones I movies. Think. Oh, See, I'm not movies. exactly. All of those are the popular versions of those types of movies but what i'm thinking of is like these movies that came out it was just such a you're talking about like a theme in, like a current of yeah a theme it was like a something. theme it was like medieval style movies that we were just so inundated with them 
in that time period. I remember just seeing him all the time, and unfortunately, I wish I was better prepared. This is I don't know. Of, Did that this one is the kind of think of any. Did Prince Centurion of was the same year? Centurion with Fastbender was in it. Yeah, see, um, like, you know, when I try to look it up, people only want to talk about, like, Gladiator and 300 and troy and it's like no it's like where's the fucking garbo yeah. ones you'd have to find your your art house list beforehand probably yeah exactly this is kind of the shitty part about my improvisational styles i never have like names prepared for anything but there was such a large just fucking swell of these movies and I don't see, know. No, Jeff, I got a lot. This might be you. Season okay. of the Witch. That was 2011. Oh my God, Nicholas Cage. With Nicholas Cage and Ron Perlman. <laughs> uh, uh, where was it? Uh, Black Death with Sean Bean. Black Death with Sean Bean. Yes, King yeah. Arthur with um, Clive, Clive Owen. Clive Owen. <laughs> yeah, like I was just saying, it was like all around this same time was just these fucking ridiculous Kingdom of Heaven medieval kind of c plus movies this is the one time where someone made orlando bloom their lead in a movie after lord of the rings i don't think it ever happened again i don't know i mean i'd say he's co-lead in um pirates of the caribbean movies yeah what's the what's the new thing what would be the new thing i guess it's like single title names that relate to animals we have a lot of those these days we've got pig lamb (laughs) antlers I don't know. I don't really know. Like, I mean, it's, I could be hacky and say, like, superhero movies, but, you know, that's obvious. But that's I don't know. pretty obvious. What's, I don't know what, like, the current, you know, kind of just mid-level C-plus genre is going out right now. Like, sci-fi, maybe? And we got, we got a, lot a lot of, of like... Mid-budget sci-fi on the internet. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you got a lot of, like, the, uh, the Ridley Scott, you know, what are those movies called? <laughs> the ones with Fassbender. Ridley Scott and Fastbender? Yeah, what Blade are those? Runner? Fuck. No, 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 no. Oh. The, the 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 Prometheus. Uh, oh, movies. oh, yeah. Alien. <clears throat> yeah, not Alien though, but like all the Alien prequels, like the Prometheus and like yeah. the Super Retcon. Like I would see like Alien Covenant. Yeah, I would call all those movies like C plus sci fi. A triple A budgets, but yeah, the scripts aren't the best. No, exactly. Like as far as just. I'm not talking about budget. I'm just really talking about like with the way the movie looks. It's just a lot of that right now. I guess that would probably yeah. be the the next current thing. Well, cinema is in a really weird state. It was already in a really weird state before the pandemic, but now after the pandemic, it's like Spider Man has come out. It's the biggest thing ever, which is not a surprise. But the difference in like tier level, especially like budget tier, is is insane in terms of like indie and triple A movies. But yeah, the gap is so wide now. You're getting a an astonishing amount of really good shit coming out on streaming services. Oh yeah, but it's just you have to find it is the thing. Like I'm keyed into the the horror and the science fiction in particular, and I've been seeing a lot of good stuff, but I've had to search for it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that always remains true in any era of film music anything that you you know um any digital era now because before the internet you would just see a poster for something and there would be like three or four movies a week coming out well you would see a commercial four thousand it wouldn't just be a poster there was billboards commercials newspaper articles i mean you would see ad they would take pages out in the phone book like before the internet there was definitely a plethora of advertising options but that was wrapped into the movie's budget and learning finding i i agree with you 
that finding good movies might have been harder, but I still think that generally speaking, like what comes out in the theaters has always been kind of like, okay, and then you have to look for the good stuff. And then sometimes the good stuff does come out in theaters. But I always think that's the case with music or any type of media. Well, I think my point more so is that because streaming services exist, you get a lot of film and types of films coming out that would never have existed before. Oh, because they're only they can because be, have they're a successful not, release on stream. Yeah, they're not movies that you put in the theater. Well, like sure. Valhalla Rising is I guess it's a an kind of borderline example. Well, but stream has just become, it probably made like four thousand dollars in the theaters. Yeah, well, stream has become the the um, direct to VHS. That's streaming well, it's, now. It's direct it's become to that, but, it but it's also well, direct to VHS implies that the film was so bad that it wouldn't even exactly. Be That's I was trying to finish my point is that like it's become that type of system, but removed from the negative connotation of direct to VHS. Yeah. Now something can be direct to stream and no one's going to assume that it's, or not no one, but a lot of people aren't going to assume it's immediately bad. Whereas in when something was direct to VHS, you knew that's a shit movie. Was direct to stream popular before our little debacle in 2019? I think for smaller movies, yeah. I definitely yeah, think for, for like niche titles. Niche type titles and that stuff that can't get a theatrical release for sure. Yeah. Now, now that the pandemic has shown that streaming, maybe not as profitable to the theaters but just as profitable to the studios to release movies on stream as well and just get licensing rights for that whereas in the theaters are really the ones that are suffering but like fuck the theaters you know yeah (laughs) as we're recording this the matrix the new matrix movie comes out tomorrow on hbo yeah that's fucking insane yeah Yeah. same day release same same with dune dune was same day release that's madness i used to have especially madness for the matrix i used to have to go to the movie theater like a couple weeks in advance Mm -hmm. and buy a ticket (laughs) yes and then i put that ticket in an envelope on like in a drawer so i didn't lose it and then like the day of the movie grab that make sure i remember to grab that ticket and bring it to the theater like that was how you yeah that's how you had to get into a movie. And then if they didn't do pre-sales, you had to wait in line. I mean, I remember even the fucking, uh, like, uh, the last Lord of the Rings movie, like Return of the King. Oh, I remember yeah. waiting in line for, like, a while mm-hmm. to get my ticket to go into that movie. Even to just That's go exactly into the theater what I was say. to get seated. You had to, like, wait until the train of people single file came out with one of the... Yep theater workers and then you waited behind one of those ropes and then you just walked yep, in. I remember all that. Yep. It's uh it's a lot different now. It's a lot I mean it's a lot different. It's now. a lot different now <laughs> and it sucks because I think this is why we hate theaters so much or at least me and Jesse do is because they've become so much nicer. The picture quality, the sound quality, the chairs, the food, the beer. You can drink beer. I mean, that was something in Europe you could do always, but around where we live Drinking beer in a theater is a pretty recent development <laughs> and uh, novelty. And so, like, the comfort experience of a theater has increased 200%, but the theater goers' respect and manners have decreased 200%. So, it's just, it, it becomes like you're sitting in these beautifully comfortable chairs and everything's nice and it's like, oh, this is cool. And then you have like open mouth fucking Larry munching his goddamn popcorn and slurping it down with his high fructose corn syrup enema. And it's just, it, I can't, 
I can't and hear providing anything else. a providing a commentary track on yeah. top of it, like thinking it's his op- his five minute open mic stand up yeah. night and trying <laughs> exactly. to get laughs from a silent theater. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> the fucking peanut gallery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's even worse than that, Jeff. I've gone twice since the pandemic. Since in the last two months, I went to go see James Bond, and uh, the picture quality was not very good. There was like a dead pixel in the projection. And the projection was just like muddy. The sound wasn't great. And I was like, oh, that wasn't very nice. And then you and I went to go see The Last Duel and the picture quality sucked. It was worse than my television. Well, that was a shitty theater. You know, like um, that was Sebastopol's Rialto is like nice on the outside and like super like bougie, just like everything in Sebastopol. Nice on the outside, rotting from the core. Well, it was, it was also in the smallest room of the theater. Yeah, so it might it have been like a shit the theater. crap screen. But I was like, why did I pay for this? Why am I paying for this? I'd much rather watch it at home. I'm someone who has to pee a lot. I'd like to pause the movie and go pee. Watching it <laughs> like, home is yeah, just I, much more. I mean, I can take my shoes off and that's that's it. That's it for me. I can smoke. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, You can smoke. I don't you don't have to worry about people coming in and like listening to them eat. I fucking hate listening to people eat. Oh, it's in the disgusting. Theater. It's disgusting. And like, it's beyond that. It's like the price. Like I spent all this money to go here, whereas in, I'm already going to spend my subscription fee to HBO Max regardless because I'm watching a bunch of other shit on there. So it, it's like, while I, we're not sitting here defending streaming services because they are a disgusting money grabbing fucking plethora of programs oh, I that love you them. pay for i do also I very it. much love it because i'm a homebody and i mean uh red letter media did a pretty funny joke in one of their half in the bags i think where they uh they kind of had that same aesthetic but when you're trying to watch a movie with friends so instead of making fun of like people munching popcorn they like pointed out all the silly things that happen when you're streaming a movie with friends, like people are pausing it, they're in the kitchen banging around. They're like, "Oh, you want a beer? Or do you want to? You want? Okay, Bro, who wants a beer? Who wants six I beers? Th- All right, I wait." Tried just- to show, yeah. I tried to show the thin red line to Skyler, and he got up like halfway through and started doing plumbing, like five feet away with the door open. I wanted to murder him. <laughs> that what? sounds uh, about right. Yeah. Well, that's the type of movie. He's I'd like, see. this is a great time to fix the sink. Yeah, well, that's just his. <laughs> With OCD the door brain. open. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, what are we talking about today? Uh, the Matrix Three. Oh yeah. We're what gonna, was our movie? Well, that's not. We're not talking the about four. the Matrix Three, but we're going to be talking about the Matrix Four. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the next one. That's the next episode. Yep. Yeah, the Hollow Rising. Who should watch this movie? I don't know. I mean, I think anyone should watch this movie that's interested in t- you know, taking taking up no not well not just filmmaking but maybe taking a bite out of your movies, chewing your movies, swallowing them and digesting them. You know, like that's like Paris, Texas. That's the type of movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's the movie you put on when you like fall asleep at night. You're like, hey, I want to put on something real boring. <laughs> I'm gonna put this movie on. I think Valhalla Rising is slower. It goes to Paris. It goes to Paris, Texas. He goes to Paris, Texas, bro. It's in the <laughs> oh, title. He travels on, probably boy. more miles than any movie. Then I don't see. even need to see the movie. <laughs> it's um, in the title. But no, I think anyone who is excited about The Northman coming up, you probably would like. Like, if you know that you think you'd like to see that movie, 
because of the hype surrounding it or because you like the genre or because you're into Eggers movies, give Ref in a whirl and especially watch this one. I actually think this one is one of the strongest ones in his entire filmography. Yeah. I like it better Agreed. than Drive. Oh, that's high praise. Drive Bronson. is a great movie. Bronson's great. Oh, Bronson is also gets great. enough recognition. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I think Bronson and this film are actually better than Drive. But Bronson is a crazy movie. I will movie. say Drive I'm just a little distracted cuz it's Gosling. I don't know. He's You're distracted by his looks or what? Well, no, he's just a little too big of a star I feel like to to really like one to be inserted into those films. I mean, Drive had a lot of people in it, right? It had Michael Brooks. It had um fuck, I can't think of her name right now, but that British actress. Um it had Carrie yeah, Mulligan um, is her name. It yeah, had Ron and, uh, Perlman. Will in Smith. It. Will Smith was in there. You know, well, Ron Perlman will be in anything. I mean, as long as they're paying his fucking more. But that's what I mean. Is that Drive the name was of the like king? A very recognizable. Oh, this is like a Hollywood movie. Whereas when I watched Valhalla Rising and even Bronson, it was kind of before Tom Hardy was really, you know, super well known. I I don't know. I yeah. just like the worlds of For those sure. two movies. I think a it's more. Tom Hardy's best role, honestly. Yeah. Oh, it's a wild yeah, one. It is. It's a wild movie, wild role. Uh, I can't imagine what it was like to get inside his head when he was making that movie, being that character. Seems like an interesting fellow for sure, <laughs> just in general. But yeah, I, I like I like this movie a lot, and I think Refn did really well with it. Yeah, it's we do, we did get onto other tangents because it's a hard one to deep dive into without just quoting like what you think it's about, which you can only do so much of. Which I because did like like twenty percent of the movie is narrative and the rest is like shots of nature and people walking around in nature with a droning soundtrack. And it's beautiful and hypnotic and interesting. But there is only so much you can say about yeah. it. Symbolism. What's the symbolism? It's so metaphorical. Here. So metaphorical. Yeah, that's us. Real weirdos. <laughs> never, <laughs> the most nev- professional film podcast on the internet. Never knowing how to end. We won't ever change. Never knowing well, how by to the end. way, if you've stuck with us for this long, we're not changing. Yeah. What? I said we will never change. No, we're not changing. Like, if, if we'll just uh, we'll get a soundboard with um. <laughs> don't even I don't know do what it. kind of soundboard do we need, Jeff? You're the one who always wants a soundboard. I mean, the pretentious <laughs> bell. Yeah, the pretentious bell would be on there. Um. Uh, uh, like oops when every time you interrupt me oh <laughs> I like a little like sizzling like when they take fajitas out at like chilies or something if one of us has an oh, yeah. extremely hot from take. all those hot takes yeah. oh my, oh my god, god. <laughs> oh my god Alex I want to spit in a box and mail it to you do you, you know <laughs> what's in the box <laughs> oh my god. Alex opens it what's in the box <laughs> big hunk of lung butter <laughs> and i think i'll end it with that all right <laughs> happy holidays folks yep. <laughs> happy holidays get ready for the matrix now our podcast is done and we have to run we know it is sad but we had so much fun don't be bereft jesse alex and jeff We'll be back real soon. The real weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long.